0: And so, Father, we, we turn the rest of this worship service over into your hands. We, we, we lay it at your feet and we trust you to work in it. We trust you to, to, to speak to us through your word now as we turn there. And so we ask you to do that. We want to hear you speak. We want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. So we ask you to speak to us clearly and powerfully this morning from your word. Father, may you... Remove anything that may distract us from hearing you this morning. Any, any feelings of anxiety, any distractions in the room, anything that would hinder us from hearing you, Lord, remove it so we can hear you speak. And may you cut straight to the heart with your word. So, Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to respond to what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. We're still working our way through Isaiah 53. And uh, as we did last week, I just want to read through the entire chapter. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at verse 11 in particular. But if you open up your Bibles to Isaiah 53, we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 12. But the message is going to be focused on verse 11. So, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living." For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul... Well, it's Palm Sunday. And it doesn't really feel like Palm Sunday, does it? Because we're used to Palm Sunday being kind of pictured or we're used to celebrating Palm Sunday with, with little kids walking around our worship services, waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet we're here. And it is Palm Sunday. And it's no less applicable to our lives than it is right now. Because Palm Sunday is all about celebrating Jesus as King. That's what the triumphal entry was about. Jesus entering into Jerusalem as King. People heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and so they came running out of the city to meet Him as He came into the city and to celebrate and to shout shouts of joy and to wave palm branches and lay them at His feet and and to lay coats at His feet as He came into the city. And that wasn't a new practice. That was actually a typical way that they celebrated a king entering into a city at that time. And so what a city would do when they knew that a king was coming into their city, they would put together a delegation and they would send that delegation out to meet the king as he, as he approached the city, sometimes far off. And that delegation would go out to meet the king as he approached the city and then they would celebrate and party with the king the whole way back into the city until when the king got into the city, there would be a huge party and celebration for him. And that's what happened with Jesus. People heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they gathered people together and they ran out to meet Jesus as He approached the city. And they brought palm branches and waved them before Him and they laid them down at His feet. They took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of His donkey as He approached the city. And they were celebrating and there were shouts of joy. They shouted, Hosanna! And blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! They shouted, Blessed is the King of Israel. The King of Israel, John says. They, they shouted, This is our King. This is our King. They, they knew that that's who He was. And so they celebrated Him as King as He approached the city. Repeatedly it was shout that Jesus was sent by God. Repeatedly it was shout that Jesus was blessed by God. Repeatedly it was shouted, that Jesus was the King of Israel. But it was also shouted repeatedly, Hosanna! 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 Which when you translate it means, Save us, please. Please save us. And so in the midst of this celebration of Jesus as the King, as this blessed King sent from God, people were crying out, Save us! Save us! Save us! Please save us. And Jesus knew that was going to happen. And so, when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, He entered in a certain way. He, he wanted them to know that He was a king, but He wanted them to know that He was a different kind of king. And so, rather than approaching the city riding a big white horse followed by uh, surrounded by soldiers, Jesus rode in on a donkey surrounded by disciples. A donkey being a, the type of animal that just a lowly servant would ride into a city on. Because he wanted people to know he was a king. But he was a different kind of a king. He wanted the people to know he was coming to save them. But it was a different type of salvation than they were expecting. And Jesus knew all of this. I mean, that, it's, it's pretty incredible that Jesus knew all of this was coming as he rode into Jerusalem. He knew that people were going to be celebrating him as king. He knew what was going to happen to him as he approached the city. He knew what he needed to do in order to truly become the king of Israel. And he knew what type of salvation he was going to bring. That's what our passage this morning is talking about. If you look in the middle of verse 11, it says, By his knowledge... "...shall the righteous one, My servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities." said that, that Jesus knew what He was doing as He approached Jerusalem and as He went to the cross. He, he knew what He was doing and He intentionally did it all to bring about our salvation. I mean, the, the people were crying out that Jesus was blessed by God, but Jesus knew that God's blessing was different than they expected. The people cried out, Jesus was king. But Jesus knew that his kingdom and his kingship were different than they expected. The People cried out that he was sent by God. And yet Jesus knew that he was sent by God to suffer and die. The people cried out for Jesus to save them, But he knew that the salvation that he was bringing was much different than the salvation they were expecting. The salvation he was bringing was much deeper than just some physical worldly salvation. That he was there to save their souls. That's why our passage says this morning, "...by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities." See, Jesus knew that He was the righteous servant, the one who lived a perfect life, and a perfect and sinless life. And He knew that through His perfect and sinless life, He would make many people righteous. He knew that He would have to suffer and die in order to bear the sins and iniquities of His people. That that was the salvation that Jesus was bringing into the world. That that was the blessing that Jesus was bringing into the world. And yet, the people who were shouting out to Jesus as King and shouting out to Jesus to save them, they were looking for a physical salvation, a worldly salvation. They wanted salvation and blessing in this world. And yet, throughout His ministry, Jesus taught, like in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good would it do for Jesus to bring about some type of physical salvation for these crowds and yet leave their souls to rot? What good would it do us for Jesus to bring us some physical deliverance and leave our souls to rot? What good would it do us if we were to gain the whole world And yet, suffer the loss of our soul. If we want our soul to be saved, we need two things we need forgiveness and we need righteousness. You see, we we need forgiveness because we're deeply in debt. Every time we sin, we go further and further into debt. Every time we sin, it's like we're swiping our credit card and ringing up this debt that looms over us and, and bears down on us, much heavier than our student loan debt. And so we keep swiping that card, swiping that card, debt piling up on us, going deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. And in order for our soul to be saved, that debt needs to be paid. It needs to be forgiven. And so Christ says that all who turn to Him in faith and trust that that debt will be paid, that our sins will be forgiven and, and our bank account will be brought to zero. He'll, he'll bring it all the way to zero and cleanse us completely of our sins. And yet, our account has to be more than zero for our soul to be saved. We need money in the bank. We need to have righteousness. Righteousness. Which is why it's so important to see Jesus as the righteous servant, the one who lived a perfect life. And our passage says He's the righteous servant who will make many righteous. And so when we put our faith and trust in Christ, He forgives our sins and brings our bank account to zero, yes, but then He takes His perfect life and credits that to our account so that now when, when, when God sees us through Christ, He sees us as perfect and sinless as Jesus Christ. Our bank account is full, and we have everything we need to be completely saved through Jesus Christ. When we turn to Him, in faith and trust. Now, I don't want to say this lightly. I don't want to downplay the crisis or the pandemic that we're in the midst of, but I do want to speak honestly. What would it profit us to be protected from the coronavirus, yet suffer our souls to be lost? What would it profit us to find blessing and salvation in this physical world only for our eternal soul to be lost and perishing. It would do us no good that that we need to, in a time like this, we all need to be looking to Jesus Christ with faith and trust, trusting Him to cleanse us from all of our sin, to wipe our debt clean, and to credit His perfect life to our account so that our soul can truly be saved. And it's powerful to recognize that He's not just able to save our soul, but that Jesus saves our soul with joy and satisfaction. He's excited to save your soul. He, He joyfully saves your soul, and He finds great satisfaction in saving your soul, which is what our passage says. At the very beginning of verse 11, it says, Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. Now, that I, I encourage you to meditate on that verse this week. Just that phrase. Just take a moment to picture what this verse is saying. Out of the anguish of Jesus' soul. So, so picture Jesus... He, he sees the cross on the horizon and so He starts heading toward Jerusalem knowing that He's going to die and, and the weight of that begins to bear on Him. And then, and then as He approaches, the weight of the sin of the world begins to bear down upon Him. And then He comes and He's beaten and mocked and bruised. And, and then picture Jesus as He's hanging on the cross and suffering and dying. Through all of this, He was in anguish of soul. He was in pain and suffering. But our passage says in the midst of his anguish of soul, he saw something and was satisfied. In the midst of tremendous pain and sorrow, Jesus saw something and he found satisfaction in the midst of that pain. And what he saw was what he was accomplishing through his suffering. What he saw was the salvation that God was bringing through his suffering. What he saw was all those who have turned to him in faith and trust. He saw his people. And he saw his people as he was suffering, and he was satisfied to suffer to bring about our salvation. Calvin says, This is the sweetest consolation. Isaiah could not have better expressed the infinite love of Christ toward us than by declaring that he takes the highest delight in our salvation. And he rests in it as the fruit of his labors. As he who has obtained his wish rests in which he most ardently desired. It should bring us such consolation to know that Christ loved us that much that he takes delight in saving us. And he was satisfied in the midst of his deepest and darkest pain. he was satisfied to endure that to bring about our salvation. Just think about the last time you sat down exhausted And rested after you had accomplished something big. Maybe your family's like ours in the midst of this kind of quarantine, social distancing. We've been working on our house nonstop, painting and doing lots of little projects, some of them bigger than others. Maybe maybe you're raking your yard, cleaning your yard. Maybe you're building things. Maybe you're still at work and you're working on a big project, trying to figure out how to live and work in the midst of this. And And remember the last time you had this huge project and you finally came to the end of it and you kind of collapsed into your chair with that... Kind of exhaustion that only comes through accomplishing something great. That kind of satisfied exhaustion, and you collapsed in your chair and you went, It's done. And it feels really good. And I accomplished that. That's what it's saying about Jesus. That even while Jesus was in the midst of his suffering and anguish, he saw the salvation that he was bringing through it. And he was satisfied in the midst of his pain. And then he saw that he was fulfilling God's plans and purposes and so he was satisfied. He saw that he was bringing salvation to everyone who turned to him in faith and he was satisfied. And then, as Jesus hung on the cross, right at the end he cried out, It's finished. The job is done. And then three days later he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God, saying, the job is done, and he's seated at the right hand of God right now, satisfied in the work that he accomplished, satisfied in the salvation that he brought about for all of his people. And I think we can learn a lot from that. As I thought about it this week, I thought if Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's satisfied in our salvation we should probably find satisfaction in our salvation as well. I know for many of us, we've been a Christian so long that just the Christian life has become just naturally who we are, which is a good thing. We just naturally go through life as a Christian. And yet, when that happens, we can easily begin to take our salvation for granted. We get, begin to kind of forget about it and not even think about our salvation. And then, when that happens and we, stop, and we start to take our salvation for granted... We start putting our satisfaction in all these other things. All these other things that can be taken away from us. And then when these things are taken away from us, then we're no longer satisfied. And we're living in a time right now where lots of things are being taken away from us. I mean, it seemed like every day about a week ago, something more was being taken away, and something more was being taken away, and something more was being taken away. And and as more things were taken away from us, our level of dissatisfaction continued to grow grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And it should have us realizing that we need something deeper. To place our satisfaction in. Something that can't be taken away from us. We need our satisfaction to rest on our salvation. Jesus taught this. The Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I mean, that's a powerful, unshakable satisfaction that comes as we hunger and thirst and rest in our salvation. And it can't be taken away from you. No one can come in and take your salvation from you. You can be separated from your friends and your family. You can be separated from your church family. You can even get separated from your job. But if your satisfaction rests deeply in your salvation... It's unshakable, unmovable. It can't be taken away. If your satisfaction rests in the righteousness that you receive from Jesus Christ and you hunger and you thirst from that, it will not be shaken. Your satisfaction will not come and go as it pleases. It is an unmovable, unshakable rock. And when we find our satisfaction in our salvation, what was said about Jesus can also be said about us that out of the anguish of our soul, we can see and be satisfied. In the midst of our own pain and suffering, we can see our salvation and we can be satisfied. In the midst of deep anguish in our soul, we can see our salvation and find hope and satisfaction. In the midst of crisis and pandemic, we can hunger and thirst for righteousness and we will be satisfied. So anguish of soul and crisis are not fighting against satisfaction. We actually can, in the Christian faith, we can find satisfaction in the midst of crisis. We can find satisfaction in the midst of pain and anguish when our satisfaction rests on our salvation. And then we can be satisfied in the midst of those. And that's the power of the kingdom that Jesus brought into the world. This kingdom that cannot be shaken and this kingdom that cannot be moved. That's the power of Jesus as King. As they celebrated Jesus as King, they didn't know what they were celebrating, but He knew that His kingdom was not of this world and His kingdom couldn't be moved and that He was bringing a salvation to His people that was unshakable and could not be taken away from them, no matter what was going on in the world around them. That's our King. The King that rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. The king that suffered and died. The the king that hung on the cross and was buried in a tomb and rose again from the day and ascended into heaven. And he says, now because of that, I have saved you as my people and you can have satisfaction and forgiveness of sins in this life. And you can, as you have satisfaction in this life, you can look forward to the day when Christ will again raise our bodies from the dead. And then we will be in heaven and we'll be eternally satisfied and eternally resting in our salvation forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You know all things. We thank You for the the righteousness and the salvation that You bring us. We thank You for the way that You lived in this world and the way that You died on the cross for us. Father, cause us to turn to You and look to You for our salvation. Help us to find satisfaction in our salvation. May we not rest and trust in all these other things that can be taken away, but may we hold tightly to the salvation that You bring and may You grant us satisfaction in the midst of anguish of our soul, in the midst of crisis and pandemic. Lord, may You cause many people to turn to You and help each one of us each day to remember our salvation, to rest in that salvation, and to find satisfaction in that salvation. Thank You for being our God. And thank You for saving us. And thank You for loving us. And all God's people said, Amen.